0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. If you've been enjoying listening to us, imagine how entertaining will be when you are watching us. Now you can watch the 430 movie with Steve Melching, Darren Docterman, Ashley Miller, and me, Mark A. Altman, every day on Electric Now. How do you get Electric Now? You download Distro TV, Stir TV, Zumo TV, and soon the Electric Now app. And You and just you have want. to pick one. You don't have to have all of them. You don't them. have to have all of them, but it helps. And you can watch us on the Electric Now channel. Don't miss us as we bring you the 430 movie in your house in person. Hey, if you want to watch a great podcast that none of us are on, check out Best Movies Never Made, available every other Monday from screenwriter Josh Miller and producer Steven Scarlatta as they go behind the scenes of some of the greatest movies never made with fantastic guests like Steve Melching, Ashley Miller, and a lot of other people you have heard of. And not Darren Docterman. Yet. Oh. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you'll be on the show. They just invited me to be on an episode about James Bond. I wonder why. Maybe it's because I have a new book out called Nobody Does It Better, The Oral History of James Bond, available now wherever you get your books.
1: You must learn to listen to The Rebel and the Rogue, or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan.
0: Hey, this is Mark Altman.
1: And this is Darren
0: Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And welcome to our first Inglorious Trexperts briefing room, where every month we'll uh, deliver live audio commentaries with some of your favorite Star Trek guests from on screen and behind the scenes. And of course, uh, we're kicking off the Star Trek briefing room spotlights with uh, one of our favorite guests. Mr. Enthusiasm himself. He's a noted film critic. Uh, he's worked for such places as Access Hollywood. Uh, the, the, he's a member of the uh, Los Angeles Film Critics Association. And he is a Star Trek enthusiast, first class. He is Mr. Scott Mance. Welcome, Scott.
2: Thank you guys so much. And what an honor, what an honor to be doing, not just a commentary with two friends and fellow trexperts experts that I, that I, admire, that, that I respect to the, to the utmost, but for this particular episode, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this from the bottom of my beating heart. Well, you know,
1: it's, it's very true that uh, this experience is definitely where no man's has gone before. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, <laughs>
0: well I, I have to tell you I, I you know scott and i did a commentary once before for the roddenberry vault uh, scott and i and uh, roger lay did commentary on a city on the edge of forever and, and and it was a hoot we had a great time and more than anyone i've probably been reluctant to do commentaries on trexperts because i feel like it's been done a lot by people both, you know, amateurs and professional experts like ourselves. <laughs> oh. And I was reluctant. But uh, it was a combination of two things. One, I realized generally the commentaries are only done on like the high profile, really super high profile episodes. Like even us, we did Sitting on the, the Edge of Forever. You know, it's not like we did Spock's Brain, right? So I said, <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be good to do a commentary sort of spotlighting maybe some of the, the, um, the, the less uh, um, well-trodden episodes? All, uh, number two... We we're sort of running out of topics for shows, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was a no-brainer. You know what the first one would be, of course, because uh, you know Scott Mance has made his love and passion for Metamorphosis uh, known uh, for for many a decade, and uh, it just seemed the perfect way to kick off uh, these new and glorious briefing room uh, uh, commentary episodes.
2: Well, you know, in terms of Metamorphosis. Like, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm 52 years old. And, you know, it is my number one favorite Star Trek episode by any measure, by any other name. By any other name. I knew you are going to say yes. that. <laughs> but, but across all the shows, all the films, this is my number one Star Trek of them all. But Darren and Mark, it was not always this way. And certainly was not like that when I was a much, much younger fan growing up in Philadelphia Uh, watching Star Trek night after night on WPHL Channel 17 Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. You know, my favorite episodes at that time are the ones that we all love, like Doomsday Machine, Mirror, Mirror, Balance of Terror, of course, Sitting on the Edge of Forever, uh, The Tholian Web, Day of the Dove. Uh, Metamorphosis was an episode that I I liked. I thought it was fine. Um, But it was not an episode that I held up my tape recorder up to my TV to tape. It wasn't until I became a, uh, a fan with the DVD generation and then the, the Blu-ray generation. And I went back and I rewatched all these episodes with a revisionist take on them that I suddenly realized how much this episode is brilliant and wonderful and beautiful in so many levels. And you know again watching it over and over and over again in later years uh it just hands down became my favorite and remains my favorite and we'll get into all that
0: yeah you know it's funny you say that scott because i have to tell you um uh certainly metamorphosis i I respect your passion for it i I think it's a good episode uh, you know at that point um it was gene coon's fourth credited episode it's and this is no slag on metamorphosis. It's my least favorite of his four episodes at that point. Uh, it was preceded by arena uh, devil in the dark and Aaron to mercy three episodes, which I like better than metamorphosis, but um, which isn't to say that metamorphosis isn't a really terrific episode. I'm glad we're doing the commentary, but it's definitely not my favorite Gene Coon episode at that point. What is your uh, favorite
2: Gene Coon episode?
0: Wow. Um, well, you know, look, uh, I, I, it's going to sound crazy. I think it's piece of the action. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, you know, probably, well, probably arena, but, but maybe devil in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, in other
1: words, anything but metamorphosis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I, I, I'm a fan. I'm even a fan of his Lee Cronin work. You know, I love specter the specter of the, Spectre of the- and you know, I get a kick out of Spock's brain. So, um, uh, you know, I'm just such a, you know, I, and obviously Gene's pen uh, was on a lot of work that he didn't get credited for as well. And we'll here's we'll do thing. an episode on Gene in the future.
2: Let, let me say this to you. I, I know a lot of people, a lot of fellow Trek fans like us. Uh, and when I say like us, I mean just like lifelong, uh, absolute just devotees of the original series. Enthusiasts. Yeah, who will, enthusiasts? yes. Uh, I, I love that word, enthusiast, who will swear by the devil in the dark. And devil in the dark is definitely very much up there, not just with, with Gene Kuhn's uh, penned episodes, but as just a, a an all-time Trek. But, you know, in, in terms of rediscovering and re-evaluating metamorphosis, what I found is that, you know, both episodes, of course, were written by Gene Kuhn. And uh, when you watch devil in the dark and you're you know you you realize that there's this monster in the in the the caves on janus six and he's killing the mine it's killing the miners and we got to kill this thing because it's killing the miners and then they discover kirk discovers that it's a horde, it's a mother protecting its kids protecting its eggs it flips the episode into something different that same device is used in metamorphosis that flip happens much much sooner than it does in Devil in the Dark. For the first two thirds of Metamorphosis, it is an urgent drama; it is a race against time. And then, when they hear the voice of the companion, it flips like a light switch and turns into something different. Turns into into a, a beautifully told love story, which is why Darren and Mark, if you take Devil in the Dark. And turn it into a love story. The result is metamorphosis.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's funny because um, for a long time I didn't know that uh, the voice of the companion was Lieutenant Palmer, but mm-hmm. it always sounded very familiar. Right. Uh, and it was I didn't realize until later that it, you know it was uh, it was um, Lieutenant Palmer from, uh, of course, the Doomsday Machine, uh, and uh, who was uh, replaced to horror when Nichelle was off on singing engagements. So. Um, and, and it's just such the perfect voice, you know, for the companion, for the universal translator, which, of course, is a really neat device, which now we kind of have in real life. I mean, I I remember, you know, when I was in, in Europe and in in um, uh, in, in uh, Sofia and i was trying to translate a, a menu and then trying to translate and and there's a, you know google translate you use yeah. you can scan the cyrillic alphabet and translate instantaneously into english and i said oh my god the universal translator really exists and now they actually have devices where you can actually talk into it and it translates in real time and that was another one i thought oh my god something like this will never exist something that could translate alien languages into english and back and Wait, forth let me get this, again.
1: let me get this straight something you can translate
0: something you can translate translate? something you can transplant (laughs) but uh but you know it's just it's again it just it frustrates me that people don't understand how groundbreaking star trek was because even something like the universal translator was unthinkable in the 60s other than to these people and here we are 50 years later and we basically have it you know the same way that so much of what was uh, introduced in the original Star Trek from computers to turbo lifts to all these things, um, uh, you know, it didn't didn't exist. And 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 now they're commonplace and cell phones. And um, it, it's remarkable. And that that's a level of inventiveness I'd love to see in Star Trek in the future, where it's really showing us, uh, 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 you know, what the world of the future is going to be like. I mean, it was like a World's Fair every week where you would see that, you know, sort of these, this incredible technology. And it's hard to believe because I, I mean, I remember when I would see a with the little um, thing in her ear and I'm just like, Oh, well, this is going to date because of course, there's no wire coming from it. So you, something like that would never exist because her earphone isn't wired into the console. You know, it's such a cheat. And of course, you know, Bluetooth, you know uh, uh, you, you know, it would look so uh, dated if it did have a wire,
1: but, but uh,
0: guys-
2: Mark, it's not just the technology. I mean, the technology, you know, is, is, has been written about, has been analyzed, has been talked about by you two guys, especially uh, on the glorious tracks and many times, but it's also thematically how Star Trek was ahead of the game, ahead of the curve, groundbreaking and trailblazing. Now, look, you have a character like Commissioner Nancy Hedford played wonderfully, as we'll get into, by Eleanor Donahue. She is a commissioner the federation being sent to stop a war and uh, to have a woman do that for being cast in 1967 to have a female character do that was trailblazing ahead of the curve basically if you break it down commissioner headford is hillary clinton yep. so there was a lot there was so much to star trek both technologically aesthetically with the characters, the spirit, the themes—so much of it started
0: with these uh, with these first three seasons. On yeah, Nancy Headford isn't isn't Secretary of State, but she is a high level ambassador with portfolio. Which well, is again, let's, you, you get,
1: let's you, be careful to go too far with that because she fails her mission.
0: Okay. <laughs> she does. She does. She does fail in her mission. She does fail in her mission. Be, but she, you know, it's important to sh- the, the fact that she represents the Federation and is an important, you know. Normally, any other show that would have been, uh, you know, a male, you know, and 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 or they, they would have depicted Nancy Hedford as the wife of the, the negotiator, Correct. you know, to, to put her, you know, in a position of power and responsibility, you know, it, we know how, how diverse Star Trek is, but you know, also, you know, because people always say, Oh, the miniskirts, the women were in miniskirts It's so retrograde. But if you look at the depiction of um, um, the way the female roles are written, and we've talked about this on the show before where they usually are, are you know, for the most part in very powerful roles of authority, to right. a large extent, Star Trek was very much ahead of the curve. And, and, and uh, Captain it be Kirk only, for that
1: only dated powerful women.
0: Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, which, we, which we talked about. But we should take a look at this episode now, yep. and we'll be doing commentary now. To watch along, there are many options. Hopefully you have the beautiful Blu-ray set uh, that was put out and watch this with the original special effects. Uh, toggle to that. But if you don't, it's available to many, many streaming options. Uh, obviously CBS All Access. Uh, but Netflix has it, Amazon Prime, I believe Hulu. So you have many options to watch along, uh, although I would certainly hope as a true Trex, tre- fan of the Trexperts, you would have the uh, the Blu-ray set, which is obviously the magnificent because you can toggle between the original effects and, and the, the revised special effects from 97, and uh, it, it's it's a beautiful transfer, excellent sound mix, and and, and, and though we, we features. We are watching the
1: original visual effects version. And um, I, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> of course. Uh, it, uh, it does sync up perfectly with the, uh, with the newer version. So uh, don't worry about that. Just, uh, you know, we'll give you a countdown to start at, from frame one of the episode, and you should be able to follow along uh, correctly. Yes?
0: Yes. Yeah, we're waiting <laughs> for your countdown. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> then let's,
1: let's begin this thing that we do uh, with metamorphosis. In three. Briefing room number one. Briefing room number one, the Inglorious Trexperts. In three,
0: two, one,
1: go. Well,
0: here we start. This is actually uh, uh, special effects from uh, Galileo 7 that are being reused. And it's interesting that they do have that.
1: You can see the 7 on the side of the shuttlecraft, even though it was destroyed.
2: Well, this episode was first uh, aired on November 10th, 1967. Principal photography took place between May 11th and May 19th, 1967. The budget for this episode during the second season was $172,603.
1: None of it. Which went to the uh, the set dressing on the wall, which no, was definitely packing no. material from business machines.
2: But the final cost of the episode, the final cost came in about eleven thousand five hundred dollars over budget. Came in eighty-three thousand five hundred and forty-six dollars. Episode is written by Gene Kuhn, who by this point was the day to day producer of Star Trek. Directed by Ralph Senensky, making his second episode as a director of the original series the score favorite it's his favorite yes and the score was composed the very first time that this composer did the music for star trek george dunning
0: whose score uh, i think is just absolutely beautiful. beautiful score no question about it now this is um Nancy Hedford, played by Eleanor Donahue. Eleanor Donahue, of course, was on Father Knows Best at the time. Which really kind of funny is that her mother was Jane Wyatt, who will now play Spock's mother in Journey to Babel, which aired the very next week right. that this episode was on. Um, and you met Eleanor Donahue in Vegas. You, you, you moderated a Q&A with her, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes, right. In 2016... Uh, I moderated a conversation with Eleanor Donahue and you know now that everybody knows how much I love this episode I had to say that that conversation with Eleanor Donahue was just absolutely uh, a a personal and professional highlight for me uh, because she was just so lovely and uh, you know we'll get into her performance in a moment.
0: Uh, Was she surprised? by how enduring this episode is and how, I mean, after all these years, because honestly, not many people, as big as it was at the time, remember Fathers know, Knows Best that well. And, um, and yet Star Trek, she's probably better known for Star Trek than anything else at well, this when point. I,
2: when, when I knew that I was doing the conversation with Eleanor Donahue, I had reached out to uh, the, uh, the, the heads of creation, Adam Malin and Gary Byrne, to please pass along to have her re-watch the episode because, you know, it's probably been many, many years since she'd seen it. Sure. Fortunately, she did re-watch the episode. And one of the first things that she said on stage in front of all those fans was just how much she enjoyed watching it and how she was so pleased and so happy watching the episode. It was just such a, a joy for her to watch something she had done so long ago and how it held up yeah, and as we'll see in this episode, when it comes to the great supporting, the, the great guest stars on the original series, you know, of course we remember uh, Joan Collins, Ricardo Matoban, uh You know, of course we remember Decker from uh, Doomsday Machine. Uh, but I think not Decker that, Unit. Yeah, I think I think that Eleanor Donahue's performance is one of the one of the very best because of her range in this episode, the way she goes from being such a stern, stern commissioner to showing so much regret and sadness
0: to becoming. And she's willing to be bitchy, which I think is great. A lot of actors, they want to be likable. And, you know, she starts this episode and she is not uh, likable, you know? Um, uh, Though the
2: episode, uh, the planet was never given a name in this episode. It's, uh, Gamma Canaris N is the name of the planetoid in this episode. And uh, Ralph Sinetsky directing his second Star Trek episode. The first episode that Ralph Sinetsky directed was This Side of Paradise. And very interesting to note that This Side of Paradise uh, obviously was a very different episode at that time. And Leonard Nimoy was so happy with the way that This Side of Paradise came out that he sent Ralph Sinetsky... A note to thank him for his work on this side of paradise.
0: And what's interesting is this is Ralph's favorite episode of Star Trek that he did, not this side of paradise. I prefer this side of paradise, but I, I think you know the fact that Ralph Sinetsky, his favorite episode is now. Also, this you know had a lot of challenges as well. They had a problem with emulsion scratches on the film. They had to do reshooting, which Ralph didn't do, which was a technical problem. Also, the original draft. It's interesting to note. Um, featured Scotty uh, uh, on the planet as well, and I think there are a lot of people assume maybe he was written out because of you know Shatner didn't want him. That's not true. Let me um,
1: just l- let me st- stop you there just for a second, just to show you that there's no interior in that shuttlecraft.
0: Right. um yes.
1: The 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 set with the chairs and the viewing screens and the computers could not fit inside the shuttlecraft, and it never did. So there was never an interior. They just. You know,
0: sort of just walk out and everything's good.
2: It's such a great shot when they all come out with their phasers, from uh, absolutely like that. fantastic, oh, absolutely I just love it.
0: uh, And it's worth noting, and we've talked about this on the show before, that the shuttlecraft was built by AMT uh, in ex- and the miniature as well in exchange for the rights to produce model kits of, the Enterprise. Uh, of Star Trek of the yeah. Enterprises. Was negotiated by Stephen Poe who went on to write under the nom de plume Stephen Whitfield, the making of Star Trek, and he That's negotiated cool. that deal uh in exchange for these the license to do Star Trek model kits to produce the shuttlecraft
1: and the first establishing shot of them on the planet where we see the shuttlecraft far away behind some uh, those rocks that was an amazingly difficult shot to get they had to almost go outside the sound stage to get far enough away to make the shuttlecraft small enough and of course those rocks surrounding the view were covering the you know mm-hmm. the the rafters and the and the non-set pieces of the shot so this shot right here with him running through it everything else
0: outside those rocks is just soundstage it's also worth noting that this swing set was extremely small and so it was hard to shoot so as a result uh used sort of a wide angle i think it was a nine millimeter to sort of make it appear bigger than it actually was um because this is a very small set once you put the shuttlecraft in there it was even smaller
2: well, right at this point, it's, you got it. You got a note here. We got to give a big shout out, big love to cinematographer Jerry Finnerman. Mm-hmm. Yep. His work on this episode, I think, stands out as among his very best. If you think about it, no other Star Trek episode looks quite like Metamorphosis. Like, look how sharp, if you're watching along with this commentary, look how sharp the colors are. Look how much they pop. Look at the purple sky. Uh Darren, like you talked about with the wide-angle lens, with Cochran running towards the shuttlecraft. I mean, it really is absolute magic how they made oh this episode look look so great with with little that they had. And you know, the other thing about this episode with the uh, the, the the clouds in the sky that you actually had smoke on the soundstage to give it a, a look of clouds in the sky that was only done one other time on uh, the original series with the uh, obsession. But uh, so Glenn Corbett here was best known at the time for being on uh, uh, Route 66, Uh and he was later on Dallas. And of course, he was later, uh, the character anyway, was played by James Cromwell in Star Trek First Contact. But this is where we uh, see Jeff Coughlin for the first time,
1: who's been stuck on this planet for quite some time. If I'm going to be completely honest, the one thing that keeps this off of my top 10 list of Star Trek episodes, is unfortunately glenn corbett okay why i think that he is kind of a a a, a cipher in this he he is his he really has no personality um he's he's as as plain and white bread as you can possibly have he has no really discerning uh aspects to his character and i, I agree with that I, and I, I think that, uh, you know, Glenn Corbett, while being a, you know, a, a good looking guy and a, uh, you know, a, a a, you know, very dashing figure, he's incredibly boring to me in this. And that's yeah, the he, only, that's the only thing that keeps me from loving this episode.
0: He was a popular character actor throughout the 70s. I mean, he had, was a recurring role on Dallas. I mean, he's in things like is, is, is from Simon and Simon to, to Manimal you sure. know, in episodes of The Fall Guy and Fantasy Island. Uh, I remember seeing him in Midway and just, uh, I was like, all I could think about totally took me out of the movie because all I could think of, it's Zephyr and Cochran. Just go to warp. You can yeah. get out of Midway.
2: You know, Darren, it's interesting you point that out because in later years, you know, since I've, I've learned to watch movies and television television shows a whole lot deeper because of my, uh, you know, my uh, profession as a, as a reviewer, sure, sure. as a critic. Uh, I, I, I definitely, agree with your assessment of of Glenn's performance but there's so much about the episode that I love so much that that you know that those are the reasons why the episode is still number one for me oh and, I, understand. And, I understand and I I think I think Darren because my appreciation for Eleanor Donahue's performance is so so great that it sort of uh compensates for the uh sort of underwhelming uh take on on uh, Glenn Corbett's performance but Regardless, the, uh, the again, here's the set, uh, you know, stage, I think stage 10, is that right? Um, on the uh, Desi Lou lot back in 1967. Right. And, uh, you know, this this episode as directed by Ralph Sinetsky, what do you mean, this along with This Side of Paradise, I mean, there was a reason why Ralph Sinetsky was chosen to direct the more sensitive episodes of Star Trek, along with Return to Tomorrow. And Is There in Truth No Beauty. And by that same measure, George Dunning was used to 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 score through the music for some of the more sensitive episodes. In addition to Metamorphosis and Return to Tomorrow, uh George Dunning also did Is There in Truth No Beauty, The Empath, which is a an episode a lot think, I think people kind of love it or they hate it. I love it, but you know, but we could do that commentary the next <laughs> yeah, time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, if you remember in the in the in the in the uh, late '80s, uh, the Star Trek soundtrack had not been released, and uh, GMP finally released The Cage and uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, and then concurrently, Southern Cross Records, John Landau re- released. Um, uh, suites that they had recorded. Yeah, that was in the Paris mid-80s Urban. that those came out. And, and Metamorphosis was, one. you know, and I remember a lot of people were very surprised about the music they chose because it was some of the less popular episodes. But Metamorphosis was one of the episodes and it's one of the most beautiful suites that was recorded. Because it was actually, not the original tracks.
2: The thing that I loved, that I was so grateful to finally have was at the end of 2012 when La La Land Records released their 15 CD set of all of the music from the original series of all the scores of all the suites that I was most grateful to finally have in its complete form. It was George Dunning's score for metamorphosis and absolutely I, and there every single bit of music from the original series is on that CD set, which I think is just one of the most significant releases Uh, in the history of the original series.
0: Now, we just saw The Companion. It's interesting to note that that was created by uh, Richard Edlund for Westheimer. And Richard Edlund, of course, is a very familiar name. Uh, you know, you'll know him not only as someone who worked on the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, but later founded Boss Films and did films like Ghostbusters. And uh, as we learned from Darren on our typography of Trek episode, was the one who came up with the, 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 the font, the font uh, for, uh, for Star Trek.
2: I did not know that. <laughs> oh,
0: well, you should listen to that episode. Listen That's what you to guys our, get from our, missing staff meetings. Our typeface episode,
1: it's, uh, it's very important that you know everything about every typeface on Star Trek.
0: It sounds very, uh, like it wouldn't be an interesting episode, but man, oh man, was that a great episode, the typography of Trek, Type Trek, the font frontier.
1: <laughs> I think uh, we should say a little something about the... Uh, the really clever set dressing that is in this tiny little set of Mm -hmm. uh, Mm conference dwelling. Um, You know, not only does he has, you know, interesting art pieces that you would think that he, he probably made himself right. Uh, You know, to give him something to do after all these years. Uh, But also his instruments that, uh, you know, Kirk picks up one, those are actual, uh, you know, actual mechanical instruments that existed in the day. And there's some, you know, uh, there's some, uh, airplane parts there, and there are some other things that uh, only recently have been identified by uh, my friend James Colley at the uh, Ticonderoga uh, set tour, and he has he has all of those things now, and it's really wow strange.
0: <laughs> well, I have to say that Star Trek was very um, forward thinking and uh, in the, in their art direction, you know, obviously Matt Jeffries, uh, and and um, because it always used interesting shapes. Doors were often uh, had weird angles. Um, there were also, you know, oh. things were very rounded, and uh, it was it, things very rarely were just, f- you know, flat. And and and, and uh, it gives a sense of the um, future being futuristic. Just the way that the fact that the that the, 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 the the lines uh, in uh, you know um, work and the sphericalness of things, and the rounded corners. And it doesn't feel like just uh, they threw up a bunch of flats and yeah. uh, created a room. And even the fact that you can see outside, it gives a depth uh, that you can see the the, the planet, which is fantastic. I, it's really just, in so many ways... Um, Star Trek is so groundbreaking and it's this kind of stuff that people don't think about. I did want to finish the thought about James Doohan, Yeah. because James Doohan was supposed to be in this episode. And a lot of people think, Oh, this is just another case that where Bill wanted to be the star and, and had him written out. That's, that's not true. Um, also, it's not true that, um, uh, um, you know, uh, but, but it, it really had a lot to do with the fact that we had a couple of episodes where Scotty got sort of zonked on the head in, um, you know, who for Adonais and also on the changeling and sort of gets, you know, and, and, and the idea was that he was going to get zapped uh, when the companion, when he's trying to fix the ship and the companion zaps him. And it was just like, it felt very re- re- redundant and uh, of stuff they had done in the past. And it, it just was unnecessary. Plus also um, when you have to service another character and it doesn't add anything, that's more coverage you have to do. It slows you down. Um, it just, it would not have helped this episode at all to have Scotty on the planet with them.
2: You know, yeah, listen, and, and there was, and Scotty did serve his purpose when we get to the 27 minute mark of the episode, you know, uh, the rest of the crew, uh, Scotty, Uhura, and, and Sulu are, are, you know, they're, they're, they're using their smarts and their experience to, uh, to look for the shuttlecraft. I mean, it's a a classic uh, device that we've seen in many episodes, like Mm -hmm. uh, "Answers of Triskelion, that what survives, where the Enterprise will pick up on something and fly halfway across the galaxy. To, be, to trace some trail. Friday's
0: Child. Yeah. Also, yeah, exactly. and he's great in that. Scotty's when Scotty's left in command, and the landing party has disappeared. It's always some of Scotty's best scenes. In fact, right. I prefer those scenes to when he is on the landing party.
2: Okay, I, I got it. I got it to save this point right here. Now, I know I'm in good company here, gentlemen. When I when I to say how much I have been inspired by William Shatton's performance as James T. Kirk. This moment right here is one of them. Right. The world on a thousand planets and spreading out. And then George Dunning's score kicks in that, that look at just the aspirational quality, how inspiring he is, how, how forward thinking, full of hope. This is the reason why I have come my entire life to to look up to James T. Kirk as a hero and a role model. Moments like this, moments like risk is our business. Yeah. Even, even reading the Constitution of the United States in the Omega Glory, just Shatner was so on point in this episode. Yeah,
0: now, I Scott, I couldn't agree with you more.
1: It's interesting now that the colors of the companion are different than when we saw it in space. Now they're sort of adding sort of those colors that are kind of related to, I don't know, maybe Commissioner Hedford's scarf. Oh, yes. It's starting to sort of get into that sort of area gradually. Of course, you know, the shuttlecraft is toast now, so they're screwed.
0: Yeah, and of course, <laughs> the effects weren't done until after the episode is shot, and it was Ralph Sinetsky who was so um you you know uh, uh had such great a great idea in using the scarf uh to uh f- you know for the pov yeah. in order to kind of make the connection between Hedford and the companion it's it's such a it's such a great moment it's such a great visual motif and again that all came from ralph sinensky it wasn't in the script yeah now look at this building that they met jeffrey's built. it's fantastic yeah it's, you know, it feels well- super futuristic
2: At this moment of the episode, this moment of metamorphosis, up to this point, it's it's a it's a race against time. You know, Kirk is so, so, so driven to get off the planet, get the commissioner back to the Enterprise to treat her before she dies of this disease. It's an urgent episode. And right here, this is the moment when the tone of the episode starts to change a little bit we start to see a hint that there is something more to this force of energy than meets the eye, that there is a reason why they are here. There is a tenderness. There is a...
1: Now, kids, cover your eyes, because this is uh, rather lurid in Star Trek terms.
0: (laughs) Well, I also think... um... You know, this is one of the few times in order to give some life to the background that uh, um, you have uh, Gerald Finnerman, you know, arranging to have clouds actually move yeah, in the background. High floating smoke. Yeah, they use some high floating smoke to give the illusion of clouds and that the planet was revolving, you know, creating gravity. It's a really great effect that sort of um, uh, gives a lot a lot of life to the soundstage and, and you know, to those familiar, uh, you know, backdrops that we've seen so many different you know play so many different planets
2: So we just have this hint that maybe there is a tenderness to this energy force that there's a tenderness tenderness to the companion and and you know just like true to any great writing more will be revealed more will change yeah and and that's a testament to george jean george, uh, coon's brilliance as a writer and and also uh jean coon's significance, his contributions to the development of Star Trek, along with Robert H. Justman, along with of course, Dorothy Fontana, for making the Kirk Spock McCoy relationship more fully realized, more fully dynamic, that that they have this rhythm that the, they have this volley, they have this this great relationship that is given more depth, and that they they all need each other, they all help each other. I think this is a great example of this episode of where, you know, Kirk uh, makes a bad decision and he is sort of given new advice and direction by his chief medical officer. It is just such a, a brilliant dynamic. And also, you know, this episode aired during the first half of the second season. And I think we can all agree that during this time is when Star Trek really hit its stride. Episode after episode during this time, a mock time, The Changeling, Humors for Outer Mirror, Mirror, The Doomsday Machine, This Journey to Babel, one episode after another was iconic and classic. And it is the reason why, my friends, we are still
0: talking about them. Look, first of all, it's the best season of Star Trek ever produced. After 55, almost 55 years, it's still the best season of Star Trek. Ever there are other great seasons, don't get me wrong, of other shows, but this is the best season of Star Trek. Yeah, it's consistently, not even to
1: consistently, week um, to
0: week. And, and okay, so you have that. Secondly, I got to point out, and this is not to, to in any way uh, make fun or something, but Scott was, you can't see this, but Scott was getting very choked up. And I, I think it's a testament to the show that as many times as Scott has seen this episode... And uh, uh, and many 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 times that it could still have that kind of impact on Absolutely. him uh, after all this time, and, and 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 I think that's wonderful. It shows the impact and, and the power. What,
1: perhaps that's what a good TV show should do. It should make the audience emotional, not the main characters.
2: You know, I have to tell you guys. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: uh, yes. I uh, thank you for. Uh, catching that i was not expecting that to happen (laughs) during a, a commentary track but it's the truth and and you know this is a great example of an episode that just i always come back to to embrace every single thing that i love about star trek everything that i've loved about star trek is here in this episode and in so many episodes of the original series and uh Uh, it it never fails. There are certain episodes like this, like the end of City on the Edge of Forever, like Is There in Truth No Beauty? Like even Return to Tomorrow was an episode that I get quite uh, choked up on. But Right now, uh, we're going to see the uh, consequences of Kirk's bad action as a soldier. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, it's funny. It's something they tell you in any leadership position. It's certainly true in producing, but it's true of any leader. They say, it's better to make a decision than no decision the worst right. thing you can do is be indecisive right so here Kirk is he makes a decision it's not a good decision right. but he made a decision <laughs> and it, it's so important to, to, to be a leader to make decisions you know and sometimes you're gonna be wrong as in this case but here's that that's a good point
2: Mark and here's here's why that's a, a very important point to make because so much had been sort of written about how how in its original form that Gene Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to be about the perfection of humanity. And that was never the intention. It was always about the striving for the improvement, for the evolution of humanity. Uh, the key word is striving, because here in this episode, Kirk makes a bad decision. I mean, we're we're, we're further along in the 23rd century than we are in the 21st century. I think that's a that goes without saying at this point, um, but but we are still learning. We are still learning how many times in the original series have we seen Kirk humbled, like in Errand of Mercy, right. uh, where, where uh, you know, he is like floored by the power of the organians. I mean, and this moment right here, he made a bad decision and here's McCoy saying, wait a minute. You're, you're more than just a soldier. And he has this epiphany, which helps further the shift in the tone of this episode, where he becomes more proactive and forward thinking in how to address this situation
1: right now.
0: Well, and and, and at the end of the day, you know, his famous line is, you know, when this becomes a democracy, gentlemen, I'll let you know, which is a great line. I've used it many times, Uh, but I will tell you that to his credit, this is also a person who seeks the counsel and advice of those around him. So whether it's Spock or McCoy or other people, you know, Captain Kirk is willing to admit when he's wrong. He's willing to admit self-doubt. You know, uh, in private among his closest friends, and uh, he's willing to listen to people—men, women—you know, this is—you uh, know, aliens—you know, he he—and that's what makes a great leader.
1: And he he does take personal responsibility for his actions completely.
2: Now now this there's, is the here's old point. Scotty
1: at the at the bridge,
2: and, and at no point during this episode. Uh, did we see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on the Enterprise at all? And this is the only episode from the first two seasons where we never see Captain Kirk on the Enterprise. Right.
0: You know, and it's interesting because the network always liked planet shows. There was a lot of pressure to do planet shows. And obviously, there's a lot of pressure from Desilu to do more bottle shows on the ship uh, because of, of cost. Um, but it's funny that Stanley Robertson, who was the executive on, on the show, who we talked about during the and- Andrea Kindred episode, who was Gene Kuhn's assistant, uh, actually was a big fan of Metamorphosis. And I wouldn't have thought so because there's so little action in this episode. But I think they were happy they were on a planet. But, you know, generally... You know, if they're going to be on a planet, they expected fisticuffs and phasers. That's what you know was popular then in the westerns and the cop shows and things like that. So I I was surprised, but even in that case, the quality of the writing won out. That even the network was like, "This is a good episode," despite the fact that nobody's getting beat up.
1: Right.
2: And you know, I think Robertson, if I if I'm if I'm uh, correct on this, like he always wanted each episode to not begin on the Enterprise. Like he mm-hmm. was, very, he, he got so sick and tired of every episode beginning where, you know, you're on the Enterprise or the Enterprise is orbiting a planet. And here you have Metamorphosis that the Enterprise is nowhere in sight because they're on the shuttlecraft.
0: Yeah. But the best example to that uh, of that to me is the beginning of Mirror Mirror, where it starts, you know, with the Hawkins and right. the, the ion storm coming in. And then they beam back to the Enterprise. That to me is like the best cold open. Oh, that's um, a great
2: cold open. Yeah. yeah. What they're looking up with the lightning. Uh, great we, we have so to do great. that
0: episode of the show the the best teasers the best cold opens on star trek <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you know like that to me cause and effect is another one that's pretty great uh with you know because at that point the enterprise hadn't blown up every week um, and
1: also I'd, I'd like to point out that it looks to me like they didn't spend more than maybe a day day and a half on the bridge Oh, in, absolutely!
0: In right. that's correct yes i, I, I believe wow. that it, that i, I shot him probably and got shot it out. out of the day i don't even think yeah. it was a day and a half
1: yeah well yeah it, it, it all depends because uh i forget exactly how many times we go back to the uh to the bridge but uh you know this is this is why shatner and nimoy would always you know find it very funny when uh you know the other character actors would uh you know, complain about not getting enough time on the show because they were basically day players, right? They would be hired for a couple of days. They were rarely on the schedule for more than that. And, uh, you know, usually Shatner, Nimoy, and uh, a lot of times D. Kelly were through the entire schedule. And so they they had to carry the brunt of the work on the show. So everything that we've seen up to this
2: point, as I've mentioned, it's just how much that this episode is an urgent drama, that they're they're in a race against time, and that Kirk is like, if the companion is in the way, we push it out of the way. Right here, yeah. at this moment, the entire tone of this episode completely flips. This yeah. beautiful touch of the companion moving off of Cochrane As he hears Kirk try to address it, and here we go. It is a voice. She is a female.
0: Yeah, and Lieutenant Palmer, that, is that you? That's
2: right. Yeah, right there, right there. There are suspicions, especially Kirk's, are are justified and proven that the companion
1: is in love, love a lover in love with the man. And it's and, am- and it's amazing the twist in Cochrane
0: here as well.
2: That's right. Oh, How, well, when, and, when and, it's and that's another that...
0: reason that you don't like him in this episode, because he's not particularly likable. Right? He like it's so petulant, you know, about you know her being you know feminine and being a female, and then you know he just he, you know he he's so obstinate through the whole thing. He's an impediment to Captain Kirk, and 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 you know that you know there's another reason you know you don't like Glenn, sort of don't like Glenn Corbett. Um, Although I would have loved to have seen him in first contact. He, yeah. he was still yeah. alive.
2: Yeah, he died in 1993. Yeah. maybe um, he wasn't. He was playing, alive.
1: At least someone playing him.
2: Nature, yeah, you know? right, exactly. Not not someone completely different. With, with now, the same right physicality.
1: Now, now, anyway. now,
2: right here, here you have, I think, a, a testament to the brilliance, the greatness of William Shatner. And the reason I say that is because. The scenes where he tries to reason with the companion. Yeah. In addition to Eleanor Donahue having so much range in the episode, William Shatner has so much range in this episode. When I think of Shatner's very greatest performances across the board as Kirk, whether it's Sitting on the Edge of Forever, to something like The Conscience of the King, to even The Wrath of Khan, I here, find... Here, uh,
1: hold on. We just want to hear him. I, I just, I just love hearing him say companion because that <laughs> that's, that's where the first uh, instance of my working up a William Shatner
2: impersonation comes from. Oh, okay. Good to know.
1: <laughs> but, but, Shatner's,
2: but Shatner's performance in this episode is so on point. I think that this is, one of William Shatner's finest hours as Kirk. And the other thing is that when they were watching the dailies for this episode and all the producers were were in the screening room watching the dailies and they were watching the scenes, the dailies where Kirk was trying to reason with the companion, I believe it was Bob Justman who turned to the other producers and said, this, he was so impressed with Shatner's performance. He turned to everybody else and he said, this is why we pay Shatner the big bucks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He sells it because he's looking at nothing.
0: That's right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe <laughs> exactly. a pedestal. It. Oh,
2: yeah. The other thing, the other thing about the scenes where he is filming the companion is, I, uh, now, uh, uh, Mark, you're, you're, you pointed out that Elizabeth Rogers plays the voice of the companion. She was not credited uh, on the episode for, for her work, and, but we did see her in the Doomsday Machine as Lieutenant Palmer. Now, on the scenes where Shatner was filming his scenes, uh, and you know, uh, reasoning with the companion, off camera, you hear a female voice. And that female voice during the dailies was that it's James uh, Dewan. Was <laughs> no, not, not <laughs> that was none other than Eleanor Donahue herself. Mm-hmm. She provided the guide vocal voice to assist Shatner to help elevate his performance. And for for almost 50 years, well, for, for exactly 50 years, you, you could not see that until the Roddenberry vault came right. out in 2016. And on the outtakes of those scenes where Shatner is reasoning with the companion, you can hear Eleanor Donahue. I mean, that is one of the many reasons why the Roddenberry vault is like a holy grail for star Trek that you're seeing moving images from the original series that no one had ever seen before, including those amazing scenes and Even in the dailies, you could see just how much Shatner's commitment sells it. He really sells it exactly like you said, Darren. He's looking at nothing, and he has you.
0: Yeah, I would love to do a briefing room on the Roddenberry Vault. The problem is is it isn't available streaming. I don't think enough of our listeners have the Blu-ray where we could do it, where people could sync it up, because I still think that is probably one of the great pieces of Star Trek uh, ephemera product that's been put out in the last 20 years. So
1: here's That's a- not on demand. That's not on streaming. No, 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 no. Now this is a, this is a lovely scene for Eleanor Donahue. This is her turn. This is her, uh, you know, uh, not only is it she's close to death, but she is also coming to the realization that she hasn't had a fulfilled life and she realizes what is missing. And uh, it's very touching and it's very uh, uh, a lovely moment for her.
2: And it's, it's, it's a great example of the range. I mean, look look at the person she was in the beginning of this episode. You're talking a 50 minute episode in which an actor is able to, to do such a great job in in going from one extreme to another and then to another by the last act when she becomes the companion. And this is so heartbreaking. This is so heartbreaking, that moment where she realizes that she has missed out
0: and do we go ahead sorry go do we know which footage had to be reshot uh that was ruined that they had to go back and reshoot with another director i i don't know i'm, I'm just curious i'm curious i'm really curious as to what uh, you know that was the worst thing with film sometimes you get a emotional, emotional scratches on the on the on the negative it was like well they always we say check the gate you want to make sure that the film has gone through and not, not been damaged. And it was a real problem because until it came back from the lab, you never knew whether or not uh, what you shot was going to be usable. It was a really scary thing with digital, not the same.
1: And it's interesting that Scotty isn't sitting in the chair. Yeah. And he hasn't yet. Yeah. Does he ever sit in the chair? I don't, I don't know. I don't remember, but so yeah. far he sure hasn't.
0: Shatner wouldn't let me sit in the chair. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I.
2: See now, now this is this to me. This moment right here is, yeah, is Star Trek at its very best. Yep. Uh, uh, just, just you know that that show of force that he showed earlier, bad idea. So now he is trying
0: communication stuff. instead of uh, communication. violence.
2: Right. Communication, right. but he's. He's so he's being so sensitive about it, uh, just rational, reasonable, um, and also trying to, you know, uh, make the companion see its its hopelessness and keeping everybody there. Right. But it's the the exchange is just so so beautiful. And these are the scenes, by the way. Uh, if you can get the Roddenberry vault, it's I think it's still for sale on Amazon. But if you are able to watch the Roddenberry vault, these are the dailies, the outtakes that are on the vault that you can hear Eleanor Donahue doing the voice of the companion. And I kind of wish that she did do the voice of the companion over Elizabeth
1: Rogers. But, you know, that's okay. Well, you know, I think it would be it would be too um, convenient if (laughs) if the companion's voice was always that of Eleanor Donahue. And I, I think that it's good that when Eleanor Donahue, Donahue, you know, not to be spoilerific or anything, but when she merges with the companion later, uh, that her voice is sort of a heightened version of her own. Right. Uh,
0: and, it, you know, that the thing about makes sense. Star Trek, you know, uh, it was it was green before green was in vogue, sort of recycling. And so, of course, you know, this uh, cloud from this uh, the Diophantus cloud makes a encore appearance in Obsession. You know, so they they use the same kind of effect again, because it was so effective in this episode. And of course, the first time we see the handheld
1: universal translator is in Arena.
0: Right. That's right, that's right. It was was
1: provided by the Metrons, so perhaps the Metrons assisted with Starfleet technology. But I mean, this moment
2: is just, I mean, again, when you're hearing George Dunning's score it is compare the, this part of the score to the beginning during the teaser when you when the when the energy force first takes command and and takes the shuttlecraft off course. It is uh, urgent and exciting and thrilling and 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 the score right here is just so lovely and beautiful and it's it's all part of the. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Now the score is great and it's not a surprise that they brought back Dunning because I mean, it's just a really sensational, I mean, all the composers on the original show, I mean, you know, from Fred Steiner to Gerald Freed to Saul Kaplan. I mean, what, a, what a murderous row. I mean, everybody, I mean, all these scores are just so freaking great.
2: You know, if, and if you, if you have that 15th CD set uh, with all of the music, then you, you are just holding on to an absolute treasure because of all the work, uh, I mean, everyone who worked on that CD set, Jeff Bond, uh, Neil Bulk, uh, everyone who worked on that, clearly just the, the start, labor of love, the labor of love in every sense.
0: And okay, speaking so of now, love.
2: Now you have, here's here's uh, Eleanor Donahue shifting her performance once again, again, and it's it, it works, she sells it, she's committed, the range of her performance in this episode. Look how she is now. Yeah, she holds she herself was.
1: completely differently.
2: Completely. She's holding herself differently. You're right.
0: Yeah. We are both. It's no wonder she was such a fan of her performance in this. And I think she also told you, Scott, that her husband at the time was a huge fan as well. Absolutely. And she had
2: taken time off between uh, uh, a couple of years after the end of Father Knows Best because she... She got married and she had a family. So when she first got the chance to work on Star Trek, it had been a couple of years since she really acted. Uh, And here she is uh, doing probably, if you look at her earlier work, just pull it up on, uh, on IMDb, and you look at her earlier work compared to this, this is without question the deepest and most fully realized performance sheet given anywhere on the small screen. You know,
0: I got to say, one of the things maybe this is worthy of another show too, is all the amazing character actors that Star Trek had Absolutely. on the show, whether it be Vic Tabak and the piece of the action or James Gregory and, uh, you know, and who for Donis, uh, Stephen Holt and uh, uh, um, uh, whom God's destroy. Um, uh, yeah. The, who, the
1: casting director, Joe D'Agusta, was a, a master at, uh, at using, you know, the uh, often overly used character actors in Hollywood at the time. I mean, you saw them everywhere on TV, but their selection on Star Trek was always particularly excellent.
0: Yeah, Anthony and they Caruso. always can
1: argue, you can argue that they gave their best work on Star Trek.
0: Yeah, you William Shallert in Trouble with Tribbles. Absolutely. Roger a- C. Carmel. Yeah. I mean, Wait a you know,
2: guys, Barbara Anderson, in the Conscience of the sure. King, oh, sure, so
0: great, yeah. He's yeah. so
2: great, and maybe Arnold Marks. Moss, yeah, yep, oh, that that's an actor showcase, Conscience mm-hmm. of the King. That if you ever do a commentary on Conscience of the King, I hope you'll bring me back for that one. Oh,
0: that could be your next episode. That, yeah, that's a good yeah. one to do.
2: That maybe, or we should really bring it a Shakespeare
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> But but like like with, with the way she says. Part of me understands, part of me does not, and yeah. then there's a beat, but it it pleases me. Yeah,
0: like, yeah, But you know what was interesting? It, one of the network notes was originally Nancy Hedford was going to die, and then he the the, the the basically um, she'd come back to life thanks to the companion, right? But they didn't want to do resurrection; they felt it was religiously offensive, sacrilege wow. for her her to actually, um, you know, that the companion be able to bring people back to life so they made gene change that
1: but you know it's he changed roughly. it but it it's still the same thing i mean this the the basically yeah. says exactly the same thing but note how they how they shot eleanor donahue in that past scene in comparison to the uh, the uh, the sweaty version who was dying in bed um yes it's a, a big visual difference and still scotty doesn't sit in the chair
0: <laughs> He's nobody sits away. in my chair <laughs> when I'm gone. <laughs> you freak! No. just stay out of my chair. I don't like you sitting in my chair.
1: You're not sitting in my chair, are you, Scotty? No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. Just standing next to it. Now, we're
2: coming up. We're coming up on a scene, and you know, I touched about this earlier in our commentary here, uh, fellas. The scarf. Yeah, the POV
1: yeah. through the scarf.
2: The, through the scarf, Look at this. she is seeing the, uh, the head, uh, Cochran the way she had always seen him.
0: As the companion.
2: And George Dunning's score during this moment is absolutely beautiful. It is so tender.
0: Yeah. And that's what a great director does. They take the script and use it as a, la- to, uh, as a, a launching point to, to tell the story through pictures, through visuals to yeah. elevate that script and, and do more and tell it visually. And what Ralph Senevsky is doing is telling the story even, you know, visually so well. I mean, such an inspired choice on his part.
2: Now, you spoke to Senevsky here on Glorious Trust. He did. What did he, what did he say about this?
0: Well, he's very fond of this episode, you know, and um, he, uh, I think it's its proudest moment on, on Star Trek. And, and And, you know, one of the, few you know because later things became problematic for him you know he was replaced on Tholian Webb uh, he um uh he you know he didn't have he wasn't happy with bread and circuses uh uh he felt he didn't have enough time to, to shoot the fights correctly so this was one despite the fact that you know there were um problems with some of the footage um uh, you know where he was very happy with the, with the way everything turned out the way he wanted it here
2: but, you know, uh, I think part of the, the reason for why things changed for Sinetsky after the filming of Metamorphosis was it was it was by the middle of the, fir- of the second season that Desilu Lucille Ball Studio was sold to Paramount. Right. And when Paramount took over the yes. shooting of Star Trek, they really clamped down on the budget.
1: Yeah, they, they cut a not- day off of shooting
2: yeah, they were they were not eight right. They took a day off of shooting. They were not. There was no flexibility for 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 things to go. maybe a little over schedule or a little over budget. Those days were gone. it was It was much, much more strict and stern and uh, took a lot of he said it took a lot of the fun out of it.
0: Um, it went from doing things. decisions were made on the good of the show. and once Paramount took over, it became the good of the budget, you know, whatever yeah. was cheapest.
1: I would be I would be very neglectful in my part of the commentary if I didn't say something about those root beer barrels that uh, Zeff Cochran has on his uh, <laughs> on his uh, communicator area. Um, it's that's just a, it's a cool little thing that you don't really notice if you don't look at it, but it's it's a little bit of tech that you know it doesn't need to be there, but it's there and it looks kind of clunky, like it's old fashioned, and it, it fits with his character perfectly, and uh, I dig it. But, but also, moment,
0: it, it just makes it more than just a jumpsuit. You yeah. know, it adds a little texture to it. Yeah. It just gives it something that makes it seem more futuristic, that he's not working at a gas station.
2: Yeah. This moment right here, he's, you know, Cochrane is telling Kirk and Spock and McCoy, it isn't gratitude. Now that I see her and touch her, yeah. I know that I love her. We'll have yeah. a lot of years together, and they'll be happy once. Not a word, Mr. Cochrane. I mean, just... From start to finish. Jim. And this is the finish.
1: Absalom, well, I'm sure the Federation can find another woman
0: somewhere who will stop that war. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> there she goes. And there and, and, goes... And no
0: doubt they will. Fiona Hill.
1: Goes the Enterprise on to another
0: week of fun. Unfortunately, Scotty jettisoned the pod because he was standing and he hit the button on the chair because he wasn't paying attention. It's all bad. Guys, that was absolutely a joy to do
1: this with the both of you for this episode. I cannot tell you how happy I am right now. I just- if, if there's one thing almost as fun as just watching the episodes, it's talking about the episodes with your friends. And oh. uh, that's what I love to do. Occasionally. Sometimes I just <laughs> like to watch them quietly.
0: But well, Now you know, we're, we're going to talk about what it was like uh, when they remake this in the Kelvin universe, Scott, because we know well, you're Let, me, let me ask you reason. this. Because, you know
2: what? You, you asked me at the top of the conversation, like, why why this episode, you know, why I always loved it, and I say, well, I didn't always love it. I grew to love it. As I grew up, as I matured, as I grew to love And I, as I grew to experience loss and grief, I've grown Mm. to love this episode more and more and more, but there are a lot of people who really love this episode. I know, I know that Mike Akuda and Denise Akuda Yeah. Love this episode. I've talked with them extensively about metamorphosis. Yeah. I know that Gabrielle Stanton loves this episode. Um,
1: Who incidentally played Lieutenant Palmer in our uh, in our episode that we did the Harry Mudd episode?
2: But 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 (laughs) the point is is that that these are first of all these are our friends, you know. But these are also people who have, in one way or another, uh, worked on Star Trek in some way, especially the Akudas. I I know that Gabrielle wrote a
0: Deep Space Nine.
2: I know I know Gabrielle prefers the pan and scan version of Metamorphosis, Um, but uh, but but there is there is a a, a lot of our friends have grown to love this episode more and more. My question to you fellas is why do you think that is?
1: I think uh, personally, I think as we grow older and we, uh, you know, go through, uh, relationships and realize how, uh, you know, fragile they can be sometimes and how, uh, how we are as emotional beings. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the realization that Cochran comes to in this episode and that Hedford comes to is really important and it has deeper meaning so yeah. that as we get older and we lose uh, and we lose people that we love and we, uh, you know, we go through the trials of life, we learn to know what's important and what this episode uh, re-
0: redefines for us.
2: I agree with that completely.
0: Mark. Absolutely. Well, I, I think uh, what Darren said is quite true. And I think also that, you know, you watch Star Trek through a different lens uh, from when you're younger. When you're younger, you watch it because you like to find, see the fisticuffs and the action and the, the, the space battles and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, most people, I think, as they get older and mature, it becomes more about the characters and the stories and the depth of emotions. And, you know, even something like Captain Kirk at the very end saying, we'll protect your secret." You know, right. as a kid, you don't realize what it's like when you are you're going to lie to your superiors. You're going to you know, protect this guy's secret. Um, that's a big deal, you know, but he's doing the right thing. So it's about ethics. It's about, you know, following one's conscience. And I think those are things that an adult you can relate to and empathize with and wrestle with a lot more than as a kid. Where it, That's why the more simplistic and I don't mean in any way to diminish any of the episodes you know, almost are, are more appealing than some of the more complex episodes as you get older. And I think that's why all these years later, we continue to, to wrestle with these shows, we continue to talk about them, we continue to love them because we keep peeling the onion and finding new layers to these episodes. That's what's so great about them and, and makes the original series so special. Perfectly said, perfectly said. So anyway, well, this was great, Scott. And I hope for the audience, you found it equally entertaining. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about future Star Trek inglorious Trexpert briefing rooms uh, that we can do. And and I got to tell you if it, you know, we're open to episodes from any of the Star Trek series through Enterprise. And um, (laughs) we're also, open to doing Space 1999 <laughs> or, <laughs> or Battlestar Galactica. You Battlestar pick the winner. So, I, um, I
1: don't think we're going to get to those for quite a while. Well, I think we have a lot of Star Trek that we can go through first. Yeah, but we're <laughs> not
0: doing we're not doing all the shows. We're not going to do no, all the shows. No, 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 we're no. going to do selected episodes, a combination of episodes that we'll pick along with uh, uh you know, the, the listeners. So, for instance, we've already said that we're going to be doing Bread and Circuses with Darren. Right. That was Darren's pick. I picked our man Bashir. Um, and of course, Ashley famously picked Shades of Grey from Next Generation. So we have some great episodes-ish coming up. And <laughs> uh, and we'll continue to. And I think that Scott's already gotten dibs on um, you God already called out. Thing. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think you know, we're well on our way to um, the, the briefing room is open for business. So uh, <laughs> anyway, but this is great, Scott. We're so appreciative. To ha- it's so great to have you. Uh, here on the show. Again, uh, always your enthusiasm is so appreciated, and your particularly your deep abiding love for Metamorphosis. It was truly the best way to kick the, off this, this series is, of the, podcasts.
2: The, if, I, if, if there was ever uh, a way to put my love for Metamorphosis on the record, I could not have asked for two better people to embrace it with. So again- Is this on the record? <laughs> you
0: bet it's on the record.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Seriously, guys, thank you so much. I'm just going to really cherish this. Absolutely, Fantastic.
0: thank you. Scott. Okay, well, we want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for another episode of Inglorious Trexperts. You can follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and of course Instagram, at Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, and you can watch most episodes of Inglorious Trexperts on the Electric Now app, which is available to download free at your favorite app store. And uh, we hope you will join us every Friday night at ten. For an all new episode of Inglorious Trek Sports. But until next week, keep on trekking, Ingloriously, of course. And the briefing room is closed. Working.